Welcome into the NHL at the Ring podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. And Sean, this is the preview bonanza episode of the NHL at the Ring podcast. We are going to detail all eight qualifying round series and maybe even offer up a prediction or two. Predictions. Everybody loves predictions. Who doesn't want to prognosticate? But uh, yeah, I mean, look, we're only a week away, basically, from everybody showing up at the two hub cities and starting to play exhibition games. And I have to say, Dan, I, I don't know where everybody's listening from, but here in the Northeast, in New Jersey, where we are, perfect hockey weather. Oh, yeah. It's 97 degrees <laughs> with 137% humidity. You walk outside and you just melt. It's great hockey weather. You know what? It is perfect hockey weather, Sean. Because you don't have to be outside to watch it. You can be in the comfort of your home. Hopefully you've got air conditioning and watching games from what? In the East Coast here, noon to whenever. Uh, that is going to be that's going to be me starting on August 1st. But we got to get there. And before we get to our predictions, which we're going to do, we're going to do the Eastern Conference first. And then we're going to jump in with uh, a little breaking it up some of the predictions with an interview that we did with Kwame Mason from the NHL Soul on Ice podcast, new member of our podcast family. So we're going to have him on and then we'll do the Western Conference. But Sean, before we get there, Sidney Crosby's mispracticed the past few days. David Pasternak has missed five in a row. Any concern? I think there's got to be a little bit of level of concern here from the if you're the Penguins and if you're the Bruins. There's always a level of concern when any player's out, and when a star player is out, it's even more. And then, you know, obviously you look at Sidney Crosby and, you know, the some of the injury history that he's had. But with that said, I'm not overly concerned uh, for a number of reasons. In Pittsburgh, if Jenny Malkin has just been in beast mode, uh, Wes Crosby, our correspondent in Pittsburgh, did a story on him yesterday on how good he looks and how hungry he is, and he's carried the, the Penguins for a long time each time that, that Sidney Crosby's been out. But uh, the rumblings out of Pittsburgh also are that it's not overly serious. I mean, I think we forget that even with phase two and the voluntary practices, you, you can't mimic training camp, and then you're not going to be able to mimic games when they happen until they happen. So I'm sure guys are sore and they need you know breaks. When Crosby left, he left during a scrimmage a couple of days ago, and there was nothing that anybody saw that suggested that there was an injury, and he walked off on his own power, took his sticks, and went to the locker room. At first, everybody thought it was maybe equipment-related. So you know, curious to see what happens there. And then Pasternak. Look, I, I think if you're the Bruins, you're a little concerned because you haven't got him on the ice yet, and he's going to be a week behind everybody else and getting up to speed physically. But that line has been together so long, and Patrice Bergeron said it yesterday. He said chemistry's not going to be a problem. You, you put you put pasta on the ice for two days, and we'll be back up to speed. Um, but will he physically be back up to speed? And the Bruins have a little bit of wiggle room, right? They're right. one of those teams that are playing in the round robin. They can kind of slow him into the lineup. He doesn't have to play in the exhibition game. He doesn't even have to play in the round robin games. They're just receding for the Bruins. So, um, you know, he has a little more time. So for, for neither of those guys, I'm not biting my fingernails yet, but maybe getting a little uh, a little antsy. And you're right about David Pasternak with the Bruins, and and you know they earned that right to to have those that extra time with their season that they had. But I think you want to get him in, though. I I I, I don't think you want to be in a situation here where you're holding a guy out out of precaution because the guy hasn't played since March. So I think you want to get him up to speed because when you get into the first round with the Boston Bruins, no matter who you're playing in that round. Uh, however you do in the round robin, you're going to be playing a team that's coming in off of a series win and, and carrying some momentum with it. And you want to have your guys up and running and carrying some momentum into that as well. So I think it's very important, actually, that they while they have the wiggle room, you got to get David Pasternak in the lineup if he's physically able to play to get him going, get that line moving. Because whether you win or you lose in that round robin, I mean, you're going to face a tough opponent no matter what but you're going to face a tough opponent that's just coming off of a series win, and I think that's key. Yeah, and look, the the bigger concern, I think, for Bruce Cassidy is that he's had so many guys out of the lineup. It's not that Postnock's been out. It's that Postnock and Case have been out. Rask has missed a couple of days. McAvoy's out today again. Um, you know, they've had guys come in and out and back in and back out. And, he, you know, Bruce talked about it the other day 
about the frustration that comes with that and not having a full squad. I, I, I think that's the bigger concern is them all getting on the same page quickly. But again, they do have that little bit of wiggle room that, you know, 16 of the teams that we're going to talk about in, in these next couple of segments do not have. They all have to hit the ice, you know, at 100% or their season's going to be over relatively quickly. And the other thing that we need to mention here is because of the guidelines that the coaches are following now from the league, we're not sure if these guys are being held out for precautionary reasons, if it's serious, if it's not. We're not sure what's going on with them you know, regarding what might be in, you know, injured or not. So this could simply just be like, hey, don't worry about it right now. We'll get you back in in a little bit. You take care of yourself. So I think that needs to be noted here. It could be very minor. It could be major. We don't know based on what they're going. But Patrice Bergeron, in regards, the last thing I'll say about David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron did say yesterday, and we're doing this uh, podcast, by the way, we're recording this Tuesday morning. So Bergeron said Monday, he's not concerned. And if Patrice Bergeron says it, I will listen to him. He's, he's <laughs> one of the best players in the game. He's one of the smartest trophy players. Trophy finalist again, by the way. Yes. Yeah, not shouldn't be the winner. Sorry, Patrice, shouldn't be the winner. We went over that last week. Should be Sean Couturier. Anyway. Let's do it. Let's get into the Eastern Conference. And let's just start with the, the – we, we talked about the Penguins a little bit, so, so let's start there, right? Uh, you got the number 12 Montreal Canadiens and the number 5 Pittsburgh Penguins. And a best of five, Montreal would not have been in the playoffs uh, with you know if this continued on. They had a 500 points percentage. The Penguins certainly would have been with a 623 points percentage. Do you see any – opportunity here for Montreal to pull this upset because of all the series that we're going to talk about. I think Montreal beating Pittsburgh would be the biggest upset. It would be the second biggest upset, but that's besides the point. Uh, we'll talk we'll about get to the, the biggest first, upset apparently. later. Um, but yeah, I, I see a way. I, I see a way and it has to do with goaltending, right? If, if Carey Price is the Carey Price that, you know, stole a bunch of playoff rounds for, for the Canadians a few years ago, you know, then, then we're talking, right? He hasn't been that goalie for a while, but he can be, you know, and, and look, Carey spoke yesterday and he said, we're going to have to play over our heads and nobody's going to have to play over their head more than Carey Price. But then you, you flip it around and, and the Penguins have goalie questions, right? Matt Murray or, or, or Tristan Jarry, who's going to play? And you can talk about them both being great goalies and you can go back and forth. But any time a team goes in the playoffs without a number one goalie, there's an issue there, right? So they scrimmaged the other day. Matt Murray gave up seven goals. So it's Tristan Jarry, your number one. And then they lose three to two in game one. Now you're, you're Mike Sullivan. What do you do? You know, do you go to Murray? Do you stay with Jerry? Like it, it's something that's just going to engulf this team if they can't settle on it and figure out what it's going to be. And in the playoffs, anytime you have questions lingering like that, who's your guy, who's this, who's that, that's the start of a recipe for trouble. So do I think it's going to happen? No. Do I think it can? Yes, I think the pieces are in place there to fall, if they fell exactly right, for there to be an upset or at least a game five in this series. I understand what you're saying about Carey Price, but let's point it out. Carey Price had a 909 save percentage and a 279 goals against average. He didn't light it up this season. He faced a lot of shots and his defense was ragged at times. So I understand that. But it's not like Carey Price was an all-star. It's not like he had a great season. Um, Can he put together three shutouts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he could. He's that good. I understand that. That's why I get your point. um, But but my thinking is here is that the Penguins, especially with the veteran depth that they have, let's, let's also say provided Sidney Crosby is healthy and able to play. Um, and I think he, I think we'll see Sidney Crosby. They've dealt with this before, the goaltending, and it was with one of their favorite people of all time, with Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray. And now it's Murray or Jerry, and they were able to play through it and win the Stanley Cup twice in a row in doing that. So I think that they have the experience to handle this, and that's why I don't see – look, the goaltending situation, yes, that's where the question is. I don't see how – the, the Canadians match up down the middle. I don't see how they slow down uh, the Penguins uh, when they get to their speed game. I don't see how that they generate much on the power play. Pittsburgh was eighth on the power penalty kill this season. Montreal was 22nd on the power play at 17.7%. So there's a lot of negatives playing in, you know, towards Montreal, a lot of positives there for Pittsburgh. So I understand the goaltending part, but that's only one aspect. I just think that the other parts of the game will favor the Penguins, sway so heavily in the Penguins' favor. So here's my pick, Penguins in four. And I just said everything I said, and I'm going to say Penguins in three. 
<laughs> All right. So there you go. So Carey Price can have three shutouts, but he will not have three shutouts. So according to you. But look, I mean, if they keep it low scoring, they're going to have a chance. But I just I just don't see how they match up in other areas. All right. Let's go. You ready to go to the Rangers in Carolina? Number 11, New York Rangers. Number 6, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, the Rangers had a 564 points percentage. By the way, they had one more point than they did last season, 79 versus 78 and 12 fewer games. So that was a, a real positive turnaround season for the Rangers. Carolina was at 596. Uh, strength on strength in this series to me, Sean. It's the Rangers' offense, especially in their top six with Panarin, Zibanejad, and Kreider against the Penguins' defense, which uh, – I'm sorry, against the Hurricanes' defense, which is loaded. They have eight guys um, for six spots, and they're all eight NHL defensemen. It's going to be a hard choice there, I think. Uh, for Rod Brindamore, but you add Dougie Hamilton back into the mix and you bring in Brady Shea and Sammy Vatten and your defense looks that much better too. Yeah, and and you forgot uh, Jacob Slavin, who's just criminally underrated, right? Might be the best defensive defenseman in the league, in my opinion. Um, So, you know, I I think it's a bit of a matchup nightmare for the the Rangers. I don't think they can get away from matchups against the against the. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes just because they go six deep and, and you know look the, the matching is not going to be as much lines as it will be defensemen and, and so yeah. Rod Brindamore has the opportunity to put the defenseman he wants against the top line and if he doesn't get that one his his 1B isn't all that bad so um, I, I think the, the Rangers are going to have to work really hard to get goals um, and, and then you know the other thing for me in this series is experience. Look, the Rangers are better than they were last year. They're a good team. There's not a lot of guys on that team, you know, especially if they go with Shosturkin and goal and they don't go with Henrik Lundqvist. Not a lot of guys on that team that have a ton of playoff experience, um, you know, and, and the Hurricanes had a long run last year. I, 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 think they're, I think they're primed to have another long run this year. Yeah, look, I like Carolina a lot. Um, and, and the Rangers, if they go with Shosturkin, you're right. There's no playoff experience there in net. I do wonder how much playoff experience is going to matter early on in these things in, in this you know format because nobody's really been through this before. But Shesterkin's the real deal. He's excellent. I don't think he's going to be phased by a lot. But I do wonder from a Rangers perspective, uh, if this comes down to a special team series, I, I don't like their penalty kill at all. It was 23rd in the league at 77.4%. And you look at look, Carolina – had a, was eighth in the league on the power play at 22.3% and fourth in the league on the penalty kill at 84%. So they're much better in terms of special teams, in my opinion, than the Rangers are. The Rangers' power play can be good, but their penalty kill struggled, and it could struggle against Carolina's power play, and Carolina's penalty kill can outplay the Rangers' power play. I, I think that for the, a lot of the reasons where I, I just keep trending in Carolina's direction – for a lot of you know these reasons, but mainly I go back to my original point: is their strength is on the back end, and they will be able to at least stymie or limit the Rangers' offense. Look, and I know you're big on experience; isn't going to matter because nobody's ever done this before. But I'll tell you what: if I'm going into bubble life and I'm facing a brave new world that's never been encountered by a hockey player before, I think I want Justin Williams and, and Rod Brindamore lighting the way and, and, and leading me to where I need to go. I, I just think the amount of things that each of those men have been through in playoff hockey, just in hockey in general, is a huge advantage as they try and figure out what this new world is going to look like and how they're going to navigate it. So congratulations on the Rangers on, on being better this year, but I think their stay is going to be short. I see the Hurricanes winning in four. Yeah, I get the Hurricanes in five. I think the experiences the Rangers get here will be beneficial for them next season and beyond, but uh, I just think Carolina, like, you know, and I, I 100% agree with you on the Justin Williams and Rod Brendamore. Those guys are just so cool, calm, experienced. They'll make a big difference. As long as Peter Morazic is good in net, and he can be. We saw it last year in the playoffs. I got the Hurricanes in five. What about the other New York team, the Islanders, the number seven seed? They're playing against the Florida Panthers. Uh, the Islanders had a 588 points percentage. The Panthers were 565, underperforming. In my opinion, big problem was them in goal. Sergei Barovsky was not good this season. A restart, a refresh. I like my chances with Sergei Barovsky. Dan, we, we have no controversy at all so far, uh, other than other than me <laughs> I think not we get thinking, it in the West, maybe. Other know. than we'll me see. not thinking that Montreal is going to be the biggest upset if they win, we right. we're we're right on 
we're right on uh we're going along the same track here yeah so um you know look for me it's a couple of things it's it's a little sad that the coaching matchup is what it is in this round in, in that Quenville and, and Trotter going against each other. And not in that it, it's too bad that they're doing it. It's too bad that one of them is going to go home. To me, they're mm-hmm. the most experienced coaches in, in the tournament. And, and I would love to see them take their teams deep and see what they do over a long period of time. But one of them's not going to get the chance to do that. So, um, and, you know, I – I love Quinville as a coach. I, I just think, especially when it comes to the playoffs, he, he's, he, his ability to get things out of his team that maybe he can't during the regular season is second to none. Um, I think Bob is going to have a, a little bit of a bounce back, and he needs to. And, and I just think that the Florida Panthers can score goals. I know the Islanders are a defense-first team. I know that Barry Trotz you know, uh, preaches that and, and is going to try and clamp things down. But when that team's rolling, when that Triple H line that they have going is is on fire, you know, like it was late in the season when when they put those guys together, um, almost impossible to stop. And and I just think that they're going to be they're going to score too many goals for the Islanders who have trouble scoring goals to to make a uh, to to get out of it. Yeah, I, I think it's double trouble for the Islanders because the Islanders are what they are. They're not going. They, they didn't. They don't have a guy coming back like Bobrovsky who you think can can break out and have this great thing, you know, this great tournament. Bobrovsky is such a key. He did not have a good year, 900 save percentage, three two three goals against. But if he's the Bob of old, of the Bob that we know, the Bob that signed the contract with Florida, he's going to stop the Islanders from scoring. And the Islanders already struggled to score. They were 22nd in goals for per game. But that doesn't affect the offense of the Panthers, which was dynamic this season and is dynamic. Uh, and I think the Islanders are a going to struggle to stop the Panthers from scoring. Remember Florida averaged 3.30 goals per game this season. That was sixth in the league. So they're going to struggle to stop the Panthers from scoring. And with Bob and net, they're going to struggle to struggle to score themselves. It's double trouble. I got the Panthers in four. I'm going to go five. Okay. All right. All right. By the way, my dark horse big-time player for the Florida Panthers, you're going to love it, obviously, is Nolichar. Ah, good Rhode Island boy. But he's had a great <laughs> year. 20, 20 plus goals, does a little bit of everything for them. You're coming around, Dan. Yeah, all right. There it is. I, look, he's, a, he's not going to score like he did in the regular season with the 20 goals. But he's And, and my dark horse big-time player for the Islanders is a guy like Ross Johnson who can move up and down. But Achari, Johnson, energy guys, teams are going to have to – create a lot of their own emotion because the fans are not going to be in the building to do it for them. That's where I think guys like Achari and Ross Johnson or, you know, Jordan Martinook with the Carolina Hurricanes come into play so importantly because they're energy guys. They bring that emotion to their team. So I I look forward to that. But yeah, Panthers in four for me, Panthers in five for you. Um, Last one in the East before we get to Kwame to talk about the Solon Ice podcast. Columbus is the nine seed. Toronto is the eight seed. Both had a 579 points percentage, but Toronto had 28 regulation wins and Columbus had 25. I'm more in the line of the Blue Jackets here. Where are you, Sean? Well, look, this one's a coin flip for me, and and I'm getting tired of us being on the same page. So with all things being equal, I'm going to go Toronto. And and I'm going to do it for a couple of reasons. One, just the firepower that they have. Obviously, Colorado has some some questions in goal. Both their goalies have been good, but to me it's a little bit like – um, it's a little bit like Pittsburgh um, in that if you can't figure out who your goalie is, you don't really have one. And and just think about John Tortorella, right? Like if for some reason they go with either guy to start and he has a bad game, it's, everything's just going to go in a blender. And, and I don't know, you know, especially in a five-game series, if you can do that. But the other thing that's really impressed me in this first week of practice, and, and you know, we talked about it being a brave new world, is is Sheldon Keefe, look, and, and the coaching – the coaching matchup is so clearly in Tortorella's favor, right? He's won a cup. He's been yeah, based on experience for sure. Yeah, he's done all those things. But what Keith's been doing in Toronto this week, like it just makes me smile every day. Like he clearly <laughs> spent the whole time during the pause just game planning. Kind of it reminds me a lot of like what a Bill Belichick would do, right? He comes out, they start right away. They do scrimmages. He brings out uh, AHL linesmen and officials. Nobody else even thinks of that has to stop doing that. 
then he decides to do a best of five scrimmage to to mimic a playoff series, and and he he picks the teams to be you know uh, offensive players against defensive players to put people in the proper positions. Then he starts doing TV timeouts, music, pregame warmups. Like the the Maple Leafs are going to feel like they've played a full series before they get here. Like none of it's going to be new to them. And then I don't believe that there's a home ice advantage, but they are going to be on their own ice and they know it a little bit better. So to me, this is the most intriguing first round series. And I'm, I don't know who's going to win, but because you think Columbus is going to win, I'm going <laughs> to pick Toronto in all of my predictions now, because I'm going to stay consistent. Well, I'm not going to have different ones on NHL.com when we do those. So uh, I'm in the Toronto corner now. Uh, I think the Blue Jackets are perhaps one of the worst opponents for the Toronto Maple Leafs in that Columbus is going to try to push them around. They're going to try to do everything physical against this team, right? They're going, they're going to check them. They're going to hit them. They're going to grind them and grind them and grind them. And I don't know yet. They have to prove it. If they prove it, I'm in the, I, I, I'm on the bandwagon, right? Because I think they got the skill to go. But the Leafs have not been able to prove that they can withstand getting grinded down like a pencil on a sharpener. They, they have not been able to, to do that yet. And to have that physical ability. So I look at a guy like David Savard, 230 pounds, constantly leaning on Matthews or Tavares or somebody like that. And, and you know, and Marner and Nylander. And, you know, the, the size that you have with Seth Jones, the, you know, especially with him being back in the lineup. And, you know, I, I think that's just the style of play Columbus plays, which makes it, to me, that's what's going to give them the edge in this series. That and the fact that they're healthy. They lost 419 man games to injury this season. But now Seth Jones is healthy. Oliver Bjorkstrand, who has one of the most underrated shots in the league, he's healthy. Alexander Texier and Cam Atkinson and Ryan Murray. And maybe even Josh Anderson, too, who's such an important factor in that physical grinding game that the, the Blue Jackets play. He is now back on their phase three roster. So there's a chance... Coming off a of shoulder surgery, he might get in this series too. Uh, I, I think all of that, that the, the Blue Jackets just lean on him enough that they win this series in five. You don't know how any of those guys are going to come back. To me, that team's changing so much, and you have no idea where any of those guys are. So, you know, but again, this is going to be five games of just pure entertainment, right? And, and let's not forget that Tortorella so. and Keith. Keith have a relationship going all the way back to Tampa Bay when Tortorella got there. So, you know, John loves to play mind games, but Keith's already gone through him as kind of a bit player with that Tampa team. And, you know, he played half a year for three years with Tortorella and left right before they got good and won the cup. So, you know, he knows what John Tortorella is going to try and do in this series and how he's going to try and, you know, get the Leafs off their game through the media and, and through all the things that he says and, and getting Keith's head too. So uh, I, I think the drama here is just going to be crazy and and you know it's going to be one of the most closely followed series because everything the maple leafs do oh, yeah. is closely followed so um <laughs> i i can't wait for this one we'll get to the west next but first let's get to our guest uh he's kwame mason he does the soul on ice podcast he did the soul on ice documentary movie which was fantastic i know you saw it as well sean i loved it uh, his podcast debuts on Wednesday with Connor Carrick, Evander Kane, and Jacob Slavin as his guests. Uh, we talked to him. Here's that interview with Kwame. Kwame, thanks for jumping on with us, and welcome to the NHL family of podcasts with the Soul on Ice podcast. I guess give us a little uh, rundown of how this all came about. You jumped on with us on the podcast network, <laughs> but you started this before that. Yeah. Well, first of all, we're family now, boys. It's all we're yeah. rocking together now, right? So uh, <laughs> this is great, um, and thanks for having me on you guys' show. We'll have to uh, reciprocate it down the road as well. But um, you know, so on. Ice the podcast is literally the brainchild of Akil Thomas and Elijah Roberts. Those boys hit me up like last summer around this time. They were like, "Hey, we want to. We got this idea to do this podcast." And I literally thought that they were just asking for my advice because they knew that I was a radio announcer for like 14 years. So I was like, hey, whatever you guys need, I can, you know, help you guys out and how to, you know, put things together, X, Y, Z. And they were like, no, 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 we want you to actually be in it with us because we don't know what we're doing. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, we went back and forth and we were talking about it for a while and just ne it just never popped. It never popped. We just, you know, we'd do some practice runs and it just didn't feel right. 
then um, winter comes, Akil makes it to, uh, you know, World Juniors Team Canada. And in my head, I'm just like, oh, my God, we should be doing this right now. This is stuff that we could be talking about already. So he goes off and, you know, it's, it's a lot stronger than the back of our head. And boom, this guy goes and scores the game-winning goal for Team Canada. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this should be the next episode. So as soon as he got back, uh, you know, we all jumped on the call. And, you know, the momentum under Akil was really, really going, going hard, during, you know, in February. And we said, like, boys, let's do this. Like, like let's, let's go. And so we just, you know, dotted our I's, crossed our T's, and just went for it. And we just started doing little episodes on our own um, for a little bit. And then, you know, just through the grace, you know, the league uh, took notice to what we were doing. I was having some conversations with some of the people there because I, you know, I also do content with the NHL. So, you know, when they hear about me doing the podcast, it was just kind of like uh, no brands like, you know, why don't we just, put this uh, under our family and we just, you know, try to take it to the next level. So yeah, and here we are. When Akil and Elijah approached you, what what was their vision to to try and accomplish? And also, mm. uh, what's the background for those two guys and, and how they know each other? I know Akil, he's with the Kings as a prospect. You know, what's their background and mm. how they know each other and what you guys are hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so um, let's start right there. So, um, you know, their, their backgrounds, they've known each other um, for years, just like, you know, again, in Toronto, hockey community is pretty small, especially if you're a player of color, it's even smaller and, you know, people know each other through six degrees of separation. You know, they were both even, you see cameos of both of them in my film as well. But um, when Elijah got traded to the Ice Dogs, Akil was there and um, that's when their bond started and they became really close playing with each other there on that team. Um Akil then got drafted to LA and, and and that was last year was Elijah's last year at Niagara. He's undrafted, but he's going to play for Ryerson, but they you know, they've they've been tight ever since. And the vision behind it was literally just to have a voice, you know. They felt like they the two of them had a good little chemistry amongst each other as as, uh, as far as conversations go. And I guess through a joke, one of their friends said, you guys should start a podcast. Mm. And so they literally did that. And then they kind of expanded when we were talking. I was like, you know, boys, if we're going to do this, like this is something unique. Um, from far as I knew, there weren't three black guys doing a podcast on hockey in the podcast space that could access guys like Joel Ward, uh, Grant Fuhr, uh, Ron McClain, and all these people that we kind of knew with six degrees of separation. And so I said, you know, we have a responsibility. And then, you know, the Akeem Alou article came out, the George Floyd situation came out, and you started hearing a lot more of these, these um, situations of young black athletes going through certain things and then our social unrest. And we were like, you know, this is, this is a great way for us to do two things. A, normalize black voices in the game of hockey and B, be able to have ourselves be on a platform where we can talk about certain situations and certain issues. But at the same time as well, to add another third to it, that's not what it's all about. You know what I mean? Like, we want to be able to just talk hockey. We want to be able to just talk about eating pizzas and just having a good time, <laughs> watching movies and listening to music and talk hockey again, you know? Um, but the advantages we the advantage we do have is we are three people three men of color that when a situation arises we can talk about it from a personal standpoint and 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 for listeners and fans of hockey that are of color they can come to us to be able to be like yeah you know that's the direct direct um, relation to what we're thinking and what we're feeling so you know again our uh, what we really want to do is be able to normalize our voices in the game of hockey, tell great stories and just have great conversations and have a lot of fun. Kwame, along those lines, I mean, you your first episode with the NHL comes out on Wednesday and you've got Evander Kane, mm -hmm. Jacob Slavin, 
and Connor Carrick, three different voices. There's no question about it, but three strong voices, I believe, with three you know be- strong beliefs. Um, all of those yeah. guys uh, in the NHL. So, give us a little bit of a rundown of what the the listener can expect in that episode and how you do toe the balance of mm-hmm. you know find that balance of you know using the platform for what you were talking about for for being the three voices that can you know can really um, have that personal experience, but also using the platform to just be three guys talking hockey. Yeah. So in the first episode, uh, it's literally it's actually just myself interviewing Jacob, Connor, and Evander because um, uh, I I really wanted to focus on what the NHL is doing as far as diversity, inclusion, and the current climate. Um, I wanted those three guys because I thought their voices stood out to me during the last couple of months. Obviously, Evander came with the, with the alliance that he's a, a part of. Um, I did some work with Connor Carrick um, in February. I took him to Wyclef Jean's house from the Fuji's, and he stood out to me. Like I felt like, here's this, here's this kid playing in a league that has such a strong voice and strong opinions on social justice and how come nobody's giving him the platform. And then, you know, Jacob wrote something beautiful on his Instagram page uh, uh, during the uh, George Floyd situation. And a lot of people don't know that Jacob adopted a, a, a baby girl who's black. So he's got an invested interest. So I thought those three voices we're coming from three different angles, but together formed like Voltron, they can come with some really great conversations. And we talk, we talk, we talk from, from, you know, Big Daddy Kane to social injustice. So <laughs> we run the gauntlet of, you know, you know, the social responsibility that's going on right now in the NHL and just talking about them themselves. You know, Connor, Connor Carrick also has his own um, podcast as well. He deals with a lot of um, you know mental health issues on his on his form, so we get to talk a little bit about that as well. So it, it was a really great conversation with, with the three, and I think the the listeners are going to get a new perspective of three athletes that they you know may have heard of, may have known, but never really got that close and in depth uh, with them. Especially like Jacob, I mean, like to raise a young black girl in the United States, that's going to be a challenge for him and the fact that he recognizes that and the fact that he feels like now he has a stake in the game is just great to just even listen um listen and hear about the past few months have have been tumultuous to say the least and 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 the birth of the black black lives matter movement and and everything that's going along with that what's it been like for you to to kind of see the evolution you know as sports have started to come back and and each league has done a little something different to celebrate or to to mark you know that that improvements continue to need to be made you know you look at you look at the premier league with what they've done in in england and wearing black lives matter on the back of their jerseys um, same thing with the MLS here. Obviously, basketball is going to do stuff. A couple of managers in baseball, you know, kneeled yesterday when they when they played their exhibition games. What is what is that whole momentum as it's built over the last couple of months been like as, as you've been watching it? Yeah, um, you know, I'm really happy to see people taking a serious step forward. Um, you know, the New Jersey Devils, their practice rink has um, Black Lives Matter engraved in their ice. The Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, had um, you know their t- their Black Lives Matter T-shirts on. Uh, it's just it's incredible because you know a couple of years ago, Black Lives Matter that statement was so divisive, so uh, it, you know it, it 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 was almost like a taboo word to say, even if you thought about it, and especially if you weren't a person of color. And to see these leagues and these teams now just say, you know what, freak it. Black lives matter. And actually put a stamp on it. They have literally chosen a side. And I think that they have chosen the right side of history to be on because we're all in this together. And all it shows me is that the powers that be have actually sat down to listen. And that's all people of color have ever wanted. We just want people to listen 
hear what we're saying, have some empathy, and be an ally where you can. Nobody's coming to take your jobs. No one's trying to overcome the, 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 the world or anything like that. All anybody wants to do, if you're a person of color, is you want just an equal space and an equal playing field. And especially in sport, sport is supposed to be that equal playing field. So for all these years where, you know, the sports arena has not been able to um, eloquently address social issues in the black communities, especially sports where majority of their, their athletes are people of color, that's disingenuous because we all know that sport is supposed to be the even playing field. Now, as far as the world of hockey goes, I'm, I've been proud of the steps taken since my film came out in 2015, because a lot of people don't really realize the timeline. I know there's a lot of people out there that you know, have things to say about the National Hockey League and their timing and what they're not doing, but people never really concentrate on what they are doing. Now, of course, people are going to say, oh, well, you know, you're a part of the NHL platform and you've been doing work with the NHL. So, of course, you're going to say that you're towing the company line. I'm not an employee of the National Hockey League. I'm an independent contractor and I'm a realist. I'm 150% when I talk my talk. So before 2015, if you guys just think back, think back 2014, 13, all the way that you can remember the game of hockey. When has anybody ever really talked about the issues of black athletes in the game of hockey? It never was a, it was never a thing. 2015, Gary Bettman gave me the opportunity to showcase my film for the National Hockey League in Washington, D.C. with Ted Leonis, with, with Gary Bettman, with, with Bill Daly, uh, Willie O'Ree was there, Anson Carter, Kevin Weeks, and we had an audience of people in Washington there to enjoy the film. From there, they took my film and put it on the NHL network. From there, I got a distribution deal where the film got to be played. From there, the National Hockey League allowed me to go to um, about 14 or 15 different cities in that one year, 2016, to show my film, to have conversations about diversity and inclusion, to have conversations about growing the game. And ever since then, I've been doing work with the league, make, doing content. I took Ryan Reeves to a black barbershop to have a conversation there. Um, I surprised the kids with um, Seth Jones in New York. All these things normalize black faces and voices in the game of hockey. So the league has been doing things. Now, can the league do more? Yes. And are they going to do more? I pray that they will. But as we see right now, they are doing their part, and we are going to get there. As Kim Davis says, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. And we're all listening. I mean, and, uh, and we can't wait to listen, too. So Thank you, bro. Uh, Thank you. The, the, the podcast uh, debuts on Wednesday. It's going to roll right into my regular weekly listening. I'm pretty sure for, I could say the same for Sean, too. Thanks for hopping on with us, man. All right? All right, boys. Thank you so much for having me, man. I'm just really happy that you, you know, we're all family now. We're doing this. So let's, let's go get it. We thank Kwame for jumping on with us. It's going to be a must-listen podcast, so I hope you all listen as well as I know Sean and I will be doing it. So that was great. Let's get back to our predictions. We did the East. Let's do the West, Sean. We'll go in order just like we did in the East. The 12-5 matchup. Chicago is the 12. Edmonton is the 5. The Oilers were a 585 points percentage. By the way, 83 points this season were four more than they had in 11 fewer games than last season. And the Blackhawks uh, likely would not have been in the playoffs had the season continued, but they're here and they got a shot with a 514 points percentage. Is this what you said would be the biggest upset if Chicago were to beat Edmonton? This would be so much bigger for so many reasons, right? <laughs> I, I, I think Montreal is a decent team and, and they, they present some matchup problems. Look, the Chicago Blackhawks, they have Patrick Kane. They have Jonathan Taze. You know, they have a lot of guys with championship pedigree. What they don't have right now is their championship pedigree goalie who hasn't yeah. been able to get on the ice yet. And we talked about not being nervous about Pasternak and, and Crosby are too nervous. Goalies are a different thing, man. If he can't get on the ice, like even if he's healthy at some point, is he going to be able to get enough reps in game situations to be able to step on the ice and go against Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl and all the waves of attack and speed that, that Edmonton's be able to bring? And if they can't, if he can't, what are they going to do? Like, who's going to stop those guys? So for me, 
it, it's a no-brainer. With Corey Crawford in net, you know, maybe it's a little bit of an interesting series and Edmonton wins. If Corey Crawford isn't in net or if he hasn't gotten enough practice time and is in net, uh, this one's over quick, I think. Well, I mean, we had Kevin Weeks on last week. He said Malcolm Subban's ready. You know, it's an opportunity, and guys seize opportunities like this, right? Maybe, maybe that is the case. So, I'll, but I'll, I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe that the Blackhawks have much of a chance if they don't have Crawford. But I'll, I will throw this back at you and play a little devil's advocate. You talked about it with the Penguins, and you've talked about it with um, the Blue Jackets, and you probably could have said the same thing about the Rangers and even Carolina in that sense is the goaltending. If you don't have a confirmed number one, do you have a number one? And, I mean, that is the question, I think, with the Oilers, with Koskinen and, uh, and Mike Smith. Who's the number one? Is goaltending an issue for Edmonton? Is it enough of an issue for Edmonton that the Blackhawks, with some of their offensive firepower, can take advantage? Who's going to score against whoever's the goalie other than Chicago's top line? Fair question, but that top line's pretty good. <laughs> well, I got Taves. The top line got, is... is yeah. Taves, Kubelik, Kane, Strom, Debrinkit, those guys can score. That's so The biggest question I have, actually, if I'm the Blackhawks, is how in the world was my power play 15.2% this season, 28th in the league? And you want to talk, and I talked about this special teams in the Eastern Conference a little bit. You want to talk about special teams? Look, the Oilers had the best power play in the league at 29.5%. And they had the second best PK in the league at 84.4%. If this becomes anywhere near a special team series, Chicago's going to be out in three. And they be, and it's going to be a special team series for two reasons. One, everybody's coming back. So, you know, you're going to get tired. There's going to be stick fouls. There's going to be all that kind of stuff. And then the Edmonton Oilers draw penalties because they are so fast that yeah. nobody can handle that speed, and you have to slow them up. And look, the scary thing is, I don't know if you saw it the other day, McDavid scored a goal in a scrimmage, and it was ridiculous. It was like yeah. mid-season form, and a bunch of been. guys yeah, <laughs> a bunch of guys on the bench said, I think he got faster during the pause. If Connor McDavid's faster than he was when we stopped in March, oh, my God, I, I don't, don't want to be a defenseman in this league. I don't think that's possible. Anyway, I'm going to give the Hawks one game, picking the Oilers in four. Where are you? Three. Three? Oilers and three? Yep. All right. I can yeah. definitely see that. Especially if Crawford's not in the, in the net. I, I can see that. But I'm going to give the Hawks one game. All right. Number 11, Arizona Coyotes against the number six, Nashville Predators. The Coyotes, both of these teams, by the way, in my opinion, underperformed this season. Uh, the Coyotes, obviously, more so. They were 529 points percentage, and Nashville was a 565 points percentage. Um, the good news for the Predators, you know, when, they, when John Hines took over, their offense wasn't as good. He took over on January 7th. Their offense wasn't as good, but their defense improved. UC Saros really took over as the number one. That's a question mark there for me. On the, on the Coyotes' end, can Phil Kessel uh, be energized again by this pause? Can that do something for him? Because he was not having a good year. Same with Taylor Hall. I think the Coyotes actually have the firepower to do this uh, if they get what we expect they, what they need from Phil Kessel and from Taylor Hall. Well, I, I, look, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I, I tend to remember Phil Kessel being a bit of a slow starter. Um, you know, he kind of reminds me of some of those guys in the Tour de France when they're climbing mountains. It takes them a while to get going. They don't have that acceleration, and people get ahead of them, and then, you know, just slow and steady, um, you know, they catch up, and that's kind of what Kessel does. And I don't think this series or these playoffs are made for a player like that. And and you say that Arizona has the firepower to do it. I, I don't, I don't see it, right? They they had trouble scoring goals before the break. Um, you know, they were in the bottom third of the league for goals. And, and then, you know, Rick Tockett had to stop practice scrimmage the other day and say, we're not scoring any goals. You know, yeah. this is – we we need offense. If you can't score in a scrimmage and you're not even going 100%, what are you going to do against a team that is loaded on the back end with a Norris Trophy candidate and Yossi, you know, another guy in Ellis and Ekholm? You know, these are guys that are just complete shutdown defensemen. And again, it becomes a matchup thing. Rick Tockett can't get his top two lines up against a bad defenseman against uh, against the Predators unless there's a mistake in making changes. No, I, I and yeah, I, Look, I, I get what you're saying there, uh, and I'm not. I'm going to pick the Coyotes in this series, but it's not like I'm. 
I'm going in and it's a lock or anything like that. I, I just have this feeling I like Arizona. I think they'll get more out of Phil Kessel, who only had five even strength goals this season. I think Taylor Hall's got a lot to play for, number one. I like their goaltending. I like their defense. Uh, and one thing that startles me a little bit with Nashville is that while they were better defensively and their goaltending was better after Heinz took over in that 28 games, their offense scored only two and a half goals per game. So I think this is going to be a low-scoring series, and I think a low-scoring game is the type of game that benefits the Coyotes with the style that Tockett likes to play and the little pops of firepower that they can have. I'm going Coyotes in five. If there's anybody in this series that's going to take it over and be a game-breaker, it's not Phil Kessel, it's not Taylor Hall, it's Roman Yossi. He can do it on both ends, and I think they won in four. Okay. All right, we disagree. Number 10, Minnesota Wild. Number 7, Vancouver Canucks. The Wild had a 558 points percentage. The Canucks, 565. That's how close this was in the Western Conference. You're, you have the 10 seed and the 7 seed separated by, you know, 0. 0.007 points percentage. It's kind of crazy. Uh, the Wild were 8 and 4 under now full time coach Dean Evason uh, after he took over for Bruce Boudreaux. But I got to tell you, Sean, I'm bullish on the Canucks. I think that they're young, they're fast, they're fun. They have strong goaltending. They have no drama in net. The Wild have some drama in net because it's not clear if it's going to be Dubnik or Alex Stalock. I think that the Canucks have more firepower than the Wild. Uh, I just like Vancouver a lot. I think Vancouver is a team for me that they win this round, they can go on a run. Wow, that's, that's big right there. I don't, yeah. But I don't know that they're going to win this round. Look, I, I think I think the the Wild. Not only is it Staylock or Dubnik, their coach Dean Evanson has said there's four guys that might do it. Both their guys in in the minors might do it. Um, you know, might be able to play. Their their number three was the best goalie in the AHL. Um, you know, this season. So there's some competition there. I'd I be really shocked like- if he starts cocking in in game one against the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs. I'd be shocked if he doesn't go with Staylock or Dubnik. I understand what he's saying, but it would be shocking to me if he did it. It would be shocking, but the fact that it's even in the conversation tells you what their goaltending problems might be. And, and normally that would sway me. And then I look at Vancouver and, and you know, oh, wait, there's a goaltending question. And, and Pedersen, JT Miller, Quinn Hughes, well, this one's over. But I, I just – I don't know. Like, I – I've believed in Minnesota so many times. They're like the San Jose Sharks used to be for me. Like every year I'd be like, oh, the San Jose Sharks, they're my team. They're going to do some stuff in the West and then they, you know, they would lose. And it, I, I guess maybe I have that same affinity for the Wild. But, you know, like I, I look at Fiala and that top line and, and you know, they're going to be a handful. I, I think maybe Minnesota has a little edge on defense. And if they get any kind of goaltender, I'm curious about Markstrom because he was hurt. Um, you know, and he's coming back and he's fresh and, and everything, but it, it's kind of a new, a new slate. And I wonder where he's going to be. So, um, you know, this is, I think this out of all my picks is a heart pick and not a head pick, but uh, I'm picking Minnesota in five with the upset. I'm going Canucks in four. I just don't think the wild to be able to score enough to hold them off. And I like Kevin Fiala. I think he had a terrific season, certainly a terrific finish, you know, going into the pause. But with him and Greenway and Eric Stahl, to me, that's more of a number two line. I don't see the Wild really having a number one line. The Canucks have it with Pedersen uh, and Miller and Besser. So I am, uh, I'm all in on the Vancouver Canucks. So we disagree there. Uh, let's do the last one. The Winnipeg Jets, the number nine seed in the Western Conference, a 563 points percentage against the Calgary Flames, the number eight seed, who had a 564 points percentage this one sean for me comes down to goaltending and the jets have it and the flames do not so i gotta lean in the jets direction because of that yeah and i feel the same way we're not going to get to four and four we're going to end up at five and three because i i I think i think the jets are going to win and again these are these crazy eight nine series i think they're going to be so entertaining um you know i i think there's a really good rivalry here um, I, I think this is going to be a fast series. I think it's going to be a physical series. Um, I think it's going to be back and forth. And, and I, I, I look, one of the biggest advantages, I think, for for Winnipeg, obviously, is Hellebuck, but the other one is Paul Maurice. 
You know, we had him on yeah. the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, you know, nothing against Jeff Ward, but Paul Maurice has been through some playoff wars. He he knows how to figure things out. He knows how to adjust on the fly. He knows his team really well. I mean, think about all the time he's had with this team and the personalities on this team compared to, you know, the, the change during season for Calgary and then a long break. Um, I, I just think Maurice has his pulse on this team. And I, I, I'm really looking forward, you know, to seeing what Line A does. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Kyle Connor does. You know, we always talk about Shifley and Wheeler. Um, but it, it, it's those other guys, you know, I, I think line is a much better player than he's ever been. Um, you know, Tim Campbell from our staff did a story on it the other day, how he's about a 200 foot player, how he wants to do even more than he's done. Um, and this is going to be the opportunity for him to do that. Calgary's top line didn't play together until yesterday. You know, Gaudreau was in a separate group from, mm-hmm. from the rest of that top line. So, they, you know, I don't know if there's going to be chemistry issues there. But I, I just think experience-wise, um, the, the Jets have it. Well, and, and I think something that also needs to be said is that um, the Flames don't have one of their better shut-down right-handed defensemen in Travis Hamannick either. And he opted out. He's not playing. And I think that's a big loss for them in this series where they're playing against a team that's got so much firepower up front in line and Shifley and Wheelers and Ehlers and, and Connor. The, the Flames have offense, Goudreau, Monaghan, and Holmstruck. I mean, they can score, but, um, you know, with their, with what they have up front. But I think on the back end, they, that is a big loss for them. But, I, I again, Sean, I don't want to overanalyze this one. To me, it's Connor Hellebuck, in my opinion, was the best goalie in the National Hockey League this season for everything he had to deal with in the defensively and what he was able to accomplish with a 9.22 save percentage, 2.57 goals against, and six shutouts. And the Flames don't have anyone near as good. And it's kind of a toss-up between if it's David Riddich or Cam Talbot. Uh, it comes down for me, goaltending and the confidence each team has in their guy. And there's no question that it comes down to the Jets in that sense. So I'm going Jets in four. So we both have the Oilers. Uh, I got the Coyotes. You got the Predators. I got the Canucks. You have the Wild. And we both have the Jets. So we agree on... Of the eight series, we agree on five, and we disagree on three. By the time we talk next week for this podcast, Sean, the teams are going to be in their bubbles, and exhibition games are going to be starting up shortly after that, I guess. I can't wait. I was excited watching play-by-play on Twitter of scrimmages, but uh, to have actual games back on TV, you know, a lot of other sports have already done it, and... At first, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I really like this. But now, you know, I'm watching almost everything I can get my hands on. The the, the desire to see live sports again and, and all the magic that it can create, even without fans, is, is overwhelming. And, and for us to enter into that fray soon is going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Can't wait for it. So we'll be back next week. Uh, more Hockey Talk. Everyone stay safe out there.